Just after Christmas 2011, a terminally ill woman, Betsy Faria, was gruesomely murdered. The investigators suspected her husband, Russ. With testimony from Betsy's friend, Pam Hupp, he was convicted of her murder. If you've watched the news around here much at all, this is probably sounding familiar to you. It happened up in Lincoln County. Eventually, you know that Russ's conviction was overturned. Pam Hupp turned out to be lying. The investigators may well have been incompetent, maybe even malicious. Pam even killed another man trying to throw suspicion back onto Russ. It seems she killed Betsy for her insurance money, may well have also killed her mother for the same reason. I mean, this sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? We've been following this on the news every time something, you know, they mention Pam Hupp, you're like, oh man, what's going on now? What new forms of insanity are we about to, are we about to delve? Yeah. Sounds like that dime store crime novel. But it happened. A miscarriage of justice, but thankfully the truth came out. Sometimes justice does get miscarried because sometimes humans get it wrong. And sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we humans, we're not just fallible. We're susceptible to evil. Such is the story of the crucifixion. We know that Jesus was innocent. We know that he was the sacrifice for the guilty. We know that this was God's plan all along. We know that the wages of sin is death. And we know that for the sinner to receive mercy, an innocent one had to die. But how do you crucify an innocent man? How do you get to that point? How do you carry this out? You have to twist the truth. You have to ignore right and wrong. You need people who are going to go along with it at every point. And that's exactly what happened. This morning... It's Palm Sunday, the day that we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds waving palm branches in celebration shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But by the end of the week, the tone of the crowd is going to change. Jesus is going to go from being celebrated to being arrested. And after the arrest, well, they have a trial. It's a sham trial because it's not possible for the Jewish leaders to kill Jesus on their own authority. They had a lot of, they had a lot of authority, they had a lot of power, but they didn't have that power. Governments tend to be pretty jealous of the ability to put people to death. They don't just let anybody do it. So the Jewish leaders needed Rome. They depended on Roman authority. They had to have the local governor, Pontius Pilate, sign off on it. And in the first few verses of Luke 23, they bring Jesus before Pilate. It says, then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. They bring him before this Roman governor. They list the charges. Sedition against Rome. This guy's wanting to start a revolution. It's kind of funny because that's exactly what a lot of the Jews were hoping would happen. They thought that's exactly what the Messiah would do. That he would lead them against this foreign oppressor. That he would overthrow them, kick them out. They could rule their own affairs. And when Jesus didn't do it, they got mad. And these leaders, they bring Jesus before the governor and says, He's, He forbids us to pay taxes. Well, if you've been reading the Gospel of Luke, you know that's not true. You see, they had tried to get Jesus to say that. They had gone up to him and pulled out a coin and said, Hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? And Yeah, look, none of us really enjoy paying taxes. We know it's that kind time of year, isn't it? You know, every time I finish with TurboTax, I don't care what, you know, whether I've got to pay or get it back, I'm ready to go out and get one of those yellow Gadsden flags, you know, don't tread on me, you know, run it up a nice big flagpole, you know, that type of thing. You know, yeah, I got those feelings. None of us enjoy taxes. They said to Jesus, should we pay taxes? And Jesus, no one, you know, Jesus is not stupid. He knows they're trying to trap him. Whose picture is that on the coin? Well, it's Caesar, kind of. Looks a little like him if you squint, Jesus. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God's what is God's. They couldn't catch him out. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say it because they were hoping he'd say, oh, no, we shouldn't pay taxes. So they're lying about him from, from the beginning. He claims to be Messiah. He claims to be king. Well, that's true. It's just not true in the sense that they're saying. Oh, if he's saying he's king of the Jews, then, well, we only have one king, and that's Rome. What they're doing is they're bringing Jesus before this Roman bar of justice, claiming him to be just another revolutionary leader. In this time period, there were... Always somebody popping up and trying to get people together to overthrow Rome. A lot of wannabe revolutionaries. But these Jewish leaders, they didn't really go in for that. That was something for the people to do. Their thinking was, we've got a pretty sweet gig here. Rome keeps a lid on it. There's not a lot of violence. The roads are in good shape. (laughs) More than we can say. The... Hey, the Roman roads are still out there, okay? You know, you drive over Zumbel, you tell me about how that one's working. They said, you know, things aren't too bad. They're they're not real sure they wanted to get rid of Rome. They were kind of buddy-buddy. And they know that no revolution is likely to have a happy end, especially for them, because if Rome has to come in and steamroll a revolution, they're going to be really unhappy with these leaders who are supposed to keep a lid on it. Because Rome was very, very clear on revolutions. Yes, they'd go and they'd conquer peoples, but they weren't, you know, Rome didn't really rule with an iron fist for the most part. 
you pay your taxes to Rome, you don't make a huge fuss, they'll kind of let you do your own thing. As long as, you know, you pay the money on time, you know, the man's always got his money, you know, they're fine with you doing your thing. It's when you started stirring the pot that you got to feel the military power of this empire. So these leaders knew which buttons to push with the governor. They knew that there had been some riots under Pilate before, that his job was kind of on the line because Rome doesn't like to have governors that can't keep a lid on things. They want quiet. Parents, I know you've been there before. Your kids ever just, you know, kind of try stirring the pot and you're like, I don't care who's right, I just want you to be quiet. Yeah, congratulations, you're now a Roman emperor. Yeah. Yeah, same thing, just, you know, over, you know, the ancient Near East instead of, you know, just like the second floor of your house. And so they knew that if they brought this guy before Pilate and sold him as some revolutionary, they could probably get the green light. They could probably get him killed. And Pilate, he's not going to do this just on their say-so. He wants to have his own trial. And he sits down and talks with Jesus, and he can't substantiate these charges. He says, Jesus, okay, let's talk. He looks at him and says, you're the king of the Jews? He says, well, you're the one that said it, not me. Jesus doesn't defend himself, but he doesn't incriminate himself either. He doesn't come out and say, oh yeah, I was going to overthrow this place. No, he's really pretty meek, pretty silent, and that's not the attitude a revolutionary is going to have. Revolutionary would be brought before Pilate. You don't have authority to try me. This is Israel. You're Rome. You get out of here. Your flag has the yellow fringe. That means that's admiralty law. Get out. You know, they're gonna, a, a revolutionary is going to be excited. He's going to have all these things to say. And Jesus didn't. And as they talk, Pilate even understands Jesus' claim to be not a political one, but a religious one. He knew this is not somebody who's about ready to start a war. So he finally says, I don't see a problem. I really think he's not guilty, but his accusers are pleading. He's a troublemaker. Do something with him. So Pilate sends him over to Herod. Herod's in town at the moment. Herod was also kind of one of these regional rulers, and he was over the area of Galilee where Jesus was from. Herod hadn't seen Jesus before. Doesn't really say that much about it. Just says that Herod asks questions and Jesus doesn't say anything. So finally, Pilate looks at the leaders and says, Look, guys, I can't find anything here. He doesn't seem to be guilty of any of these charges you're bringing. Tell you what, I'll punish and release him. And I'll tell you, that's where we ought to be really grateful we live in this society. Can you imagine going in for trial? The judge, not guilty. Now punish him, bailiff, and release him. What? 
See, Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen. He had no rights there. You know, the, instead, he's just going to give this, this person a beating. You know, the, here's a warning beating for you. Let's get out the warning whip and give him a few cracks. You didn't do it? Wham! Now don't do it again. Some of you parents, you know, you may have had those moments when, well, if you didn't deserve it, you probably got away with something. So, you know, consider that punishment for whatever you got away with. Yeah, I see a few smiles out there. Yeah, Did any of you get that from your parents? Or was that just me? <sighs> he ain't here. <laughs> I don't know if you're my mother. He, your brother got it too. Yeah, he's in Florida right now. <sighs> We're going to let him go. The leaders protest. They start stirring up a mob. They don't want Jesus beaten. They want him dead. No, no, no. We don't want him to go away with few bruises. We want him not to go away at all, Pilate. And Pilate, he's really starting to grasp at straws to try and release Jesus. He knew that the beginning of the week, they had received this guy, welcomed him with open arms, shouted praises as he came into the city. So he's thinking, you know, maybe they'll be happy if I release him. He said, tell you what, this time of year, I always release one guy. How about I release Jesus? And the crowd starts to shout, no, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. Compared to Jesus, Barabbas, he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. He was guilty. Give us Barabbas instead. We, we don't want Jesus. Well, what am I supposed to do with this guy? He's innocent. He hasn't done anything. I can't do anything with this. What am I supposed to do with And they say, we don't care. Kill him. We just don't want him walking free. We want him dead. Pilate. We can look at Pilate and think, man, he's an evil dude. He sentenced Jesus to die. Pilate is trying at every point to release him. Pronounces him innocent. Because Pilate, Pilate's human. I mean, yeah, to get that job, he probably had to climb a pretty ugly ladder of politicking. I guarantee you he's got skeletons in the closet. And some of them probably out for everybody to see. But he still has a shred of humanity. He doesn't want to kill an innocent man. But here's the thing. He didn't care enough to risk a riot to keep it from happening. Could have said, I'm not giving you Barabbas. Barabbas deserves to die. That, that dude's dead. You quit asking for him. I'm giving you Jesus. But remember I said Pilate was kind of on his last strike. His bosses were tired of him not being able to keep the Jews from rioting. It was his job. 
So he didn't quite care enough to stop this. The trial is over, the verdict not guilty, the punishment death. How's that for an ending? Oh, you're innocent. Now we execute you. But as shameful as that was, it gets worse from here. After beating and abusing Jesus, that's described in other Gospels. They move him over to Golgotha, the execution site. They made him carry his own crossbeam to get there. That was pretty normal. Usually the posts for the cross would be left in the ground. Because getting those things hoisted, that was a chore. But they had these big heavy cross beams. You ever have to carry a nice big piece of wood? I don't mean a two by four. I mean like a four by six or a six by six. Nice big heavy piece. I mean, there's some weight to that. And Jesus has been starved for the last day or two, beaten within an inch of his life. He can't carry it. They get somebody else to do it. And as he's going, they're grieving. The people are lining the streets, crying out. This was pretty normal because what Rome did is they said, you cannot grieve for anyone who's been executed by the state. To do that is a shot at our authority. To do that says, you wish we hadn't done it. So you could not publicly grieve for those who were executed. You could grieve before it happened. And that's what they're doing. They're out there moaning, crying, wailing, carrying on. Not so much because it's Jesus being killed, but a good chunk of that's because it's Rome doing it. They're sad that Rome has that power. And as Jesus goes, he says to some of these mourners, folks, you think this is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. You see, the leaders want Jesus dead because they think if this stirs up a revolution, Rome will destroy the city. And Jesus says, this isn't going to save the city. A few decades after this, Rome will come in and level it anyway. Well, they get there. Jesus is crucified between two criminals. They're guilty. He's not. One of them hanging there starts helping heap the abuse onto Jesus. He's nailed there. He's sharing the same fate. He's insulting the guy. Some people just, they're just going to be that way no matter what happens to them. But the other one has a moment of reflection. What are you doing this for? We're here because we deserve it. This guy didn't do anything. He looks to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He turns to Jesus in belief. The day goes on. Jesus nailed there to the cross, hanging there. His life starts to ebb. The wicked have won. We pick this up in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Yeah, it was a miscarriage of justice, but his accusers, they got what they wanted. He's now out of the way. Jesus is gone. His movement is over. It will never be heard from again. Well, that didn't quite pan out. With all this completed, note what happens here. The Jewish leaders, they wanted to be rid of Jesus. The Roman leaders didn't care enough to save Jesus. The Jewish people will mourn him, but not accept him. The ones who were crying over him a few hours earlier were not, the one, were, were not there saying, release Jesus instead of Barabbas. No, it is the Roman centurion, the leader of the execution crew, who recognizes Jesus to be the innocent, righteous son of God. Not the leaders who knew better. Not the people who followed him around and saw his miracles. It's the one actually doing the job. He sees what took place. He witnesses how Jesus accepted his fate. He takes part in the act. And here, in the climax of the gospel, he believes. Of all the people to believe, it's that one. His buddies, the ones he's overseeing, are over there gambling for Jesus' clothing. His bosses didn't care enough to stop any of this. The leaders are standing back and smiling and nodding their heads, but it is the Roman centurion who says, This man was innocent. This is the Son of God. And this miscarriage of justice, this act of evil, is at the very same time the very plan of God. How could that be? Friends, our God will use the work of the wicked to further his ends. Because sometimes you can just count on wicked people to do wicked things, can't you? I tell you, one thing that should never happen, Christians, we should never be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. I've seen people before, well, I can't believe they're doing that. Well, why? They're not Christians, they told you. Of course they're going to do stuff like that. They don't believe. And friends, there are many times throughout the Bible when God uses the acts of the wicked against them. Satan is stirring people up to kill this son of God without realizing he is conniving at his own destruction. God is true to his nature. The wicked are true to theirs. And God is using it. This is his plan. It's why Jesus didn't put up a defense. It's why everything unfolded as it did. Jesus was to be our sacrifice. You see, our sin made it necessary. Friends, it should have been us up there. That's our paycheck for sin. 
We glorify God for bringing about our redemption, but we mourn for the sin that we committed that made it necessary. And God said, we're going to take these unrighteous and we're going to open up a path to righteousness and it will cost the life of my son, but we're going to do it anyway. And all throughout human history, he puts things in place right up to this moment. The turning point in history. Jesus on the cross. Ever since that day, humanity has emulated those who saw these things. We copy one of about four different groups here. Doesn't matter who you are, when we're confronted with Jesus, we do one of about four different things. We copy the leaders sometimes. You've probably seen people like that. They're angry at Jesus for calling us back to God, for calling us outside our pleasures and our enjoyments. We want him out of the way, so we're going to copy the leaders. We want Jesus gone. You've probably met or seen some people like that. Angry at God, even as they deny his existence. God takes up a lot of room in their heads. It's like, man, you don't believe in him, but it seems like he's your hobby. They hate him. They want him gone. Or maybe we'll copy Pilate. It's not that we don't like Jesus. You know, we might like Jesus. We might think Jesus is pretty cool. It's just that he's not important enough. Just some dude. We've got other things going on, other other priorities. Jesus, yeah, you know, you're cool and all, but I've got a thing. Just as Pilate, he's innocent, but it's not like I care enough to risk anything for you, Jesus. I'm not going out of my way one little bit for Jesus. Or maybe we'll follow the people, we'll copy them. We go with the flow. Sometimes we might welcome Jesus. Sometimes we might cry crocodile tears over him. But we don't ever let it impact our lives. He doesn't mean enough to us. We might say we love him. But we don't actually do anything about it. We might pretend. But we always hold back. We're a little more concerned with Jesus than Pilate, but still not quite enough to do anything. But then, sometimes we follow the centurion. We see what's happened, we believe. Oh yeah, we may have been sinful, but we believe. We may have done wrong, but we come to God. You know, sometimes I wonder just how much did that centurion believe? Did he become a Christian? I think it's possible. I can't guarantee it. 
be interesting meeting him in heaven. Yeah, I'm the guy that nailed him up there. But I saw him to be the son of God. We're not going to have any standing to say anything to him. I mean, it was our sin that made it happen. But he believed, and that's really what mattered. And that belief is why Luke wrote. That belief is really what we ought to have. We need to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. The truth came out. This is no rabble-rouser, no revolutionary. Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. He is the sacrifice for our sin. He is the way to God. We gain forgiveness by believing in Him. We secure our eternities by following Him. All this comes together in Jesus. Yes, his death was unjust. Thank heaven for that, because if it was just, it would have been us. It would have been our sin. But like the centurion, we can believe, we can glorify God, we can find redemption there because of what Jesus did. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what your son has done for us. We praise you. Because he gave himself for us. Lord, we're thank you. we praise you for your, for your wisdom in bringing this about. So that we could be redeemed in the blood of your son Jesus. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.